Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode 7 of the Locust and Honey Podcast. Join us as we discuss A Tale of Two Tables, Part 3. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise." Well, hello, everybody. My name is Matt. And I'm Andrew. And this is the Locust and Honey Podcast. We're excited to have you back again with us. That we are. For another episode of A Tale of Two Tables. Yep. This is the topic that never ends. It never ends. It goes on and on. Forever. All of eternity. Well, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, Today, we are going to be looking at the second table, the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th commandment. Yes. But before we do that, Andrew... What are you into? Well, I am into history. Woo! History. Yes. All right. Specifically, like just all history? Specifically, military history. Military history. I really enjoy military history. So, like, you enjoy people fighting and killing each other? I enjoy the conflict and seeing what prevails and what doesn't prevail and how it is working out. I. Enjoy just seeing how the different, it's just crazy to put myself in the situation that people were in at the certain times when these things happened and like thinking about what it would have been like to live back then and what it would have been like to be in that world where like World War Two. I mean, you've got just, you know, everybody's at war, obviously, and you've got nations just making alliances with each other and then going at it. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. So, fun fact, I got to jump into Normandy on the 60th anniversary of D-Day. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Wow. There's still some people that were in Normandy that were there that had done that. Mm. It was pretty cool. I saw a video of a guy who jumped. He was one of the people or one of the uh, soldiers who jumped out of the airplane like the night right before they actually invaded Normandy. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the people that kind of came behind the front lines, and he, several years ago, did it again. Mm -hmm. It was like the, may have been the 70th anniversary. And he's, I mean, obviously, he's like 90, you know, and he did it again. I was like, wow, that's that's, that's crazy. Yeah, So that was a cool spot. Yeah, so, I don't know. For the past, uh, it kind of comes in waves for me. I'll have like a, a month where I'm just like digging into a bunch of stuff as far as military history goes. Mm-hmm. 
and then I, it just kind of fades. But right now, it's kind of like a I'm into it again. So, so. like World War Two right now. Yeah, World War Two, and then I'm starting to get more and more fascinated with the Civil War. Yeah, really, because like it happened here, like, and we live in Georgia, and there's just a lot of you know, places in Georgia where mm-hmm. important things happen for this <laughs> during that war. So, and I went on Ancestry, and I actually have a lot of family members who fought in all of these wars: um, World War Two, World War One, Civil War. I don't know; it's interesting. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, I'm. Uh, it, it was cool being in Normandy, just going to the different places for Omaha, Utah Beach, uh, seeing all that, seeing Point Duhok where the Rangers scaled the cliffs, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and then just seeing. Other places, we went to a, a farm where there was a big battle that was there. And talking to the guy that owned the farm, his grandfather was there, saw the American troops parachute in. He was really little when when he wow. was, but he, the guy that owned it, he was like four or five. The Nazis had control of his farm, and they had a bunch of artillery there. And then the americans came and took it over and so yeah Man. interesting stuff yeah so matt what are you into well right now i am into looking at and studying revivalism not just revivals but revivalism hmm. uh, we, and we, what is the difference well so revivalism stems from the second great awakening and just looking at the second great awakening and how it really harmed American Christianity. I don't think it was helpful. I think it was harmful. Looking at what we talked about maybe last episode, if not the one before, Finney and his his movement, where you've got the, the big tent revivals and you've got, you know, all these people making these emotional responses and salvation is based on your fervor. You know, you, mm-hmm. you make this emotional response and then I'm going to continue to just be emotional and following Christ. And it really produces this works-based salvation. And if not, then you see rededication is now a thing and nailing down your salvation. Like, I got saved here, but I'm going to really nail it down today because I don't really know how fervent I was in that decision. And so now I'm really gung-ho about following Christ. And mm-hmm. um, So, yeah, I've just been kind of studying that and looking at that, looking at the effects of that in the churches that I've been a part of and and just the people that I know and how big of a role I think that's played in the American church, at least in the Southern Baptist churches where yeah. we're at. So yeah, maybe that, that can produce an episode. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Looking at that. But yeah, that's kind of what I've been into this week. Yeah. Kinda. Well, especially, you know, where we, I know both of us grew up and, and uh, you start to see how the the different things that you believed growing up and the different things that you struggled with and wrestled with. Well, I am anyways. I'm starting to see how it was kind of like a byproduct of what you're talking about, you know? Right. Because, I mean, the question becomes, okay, now what's the standard for the level of passion or fervency right. or genuineness that I have to follow in Christ? Am I at that level? Yeah. Who sets that level? Yeah. What's the... Well, and I think it takes away from the gospel. Right. Because the gospel is that... So we've been talking about the law, and this will kind of tie in well. We've been talking about the law for the past, this is our third episode now, but the law doesn't save us. Mm-hmm. The law is our master, or the law is this guardian, but the law can't save us unless we keep the whole law. If we've sinned one time, we've broken God's law. Right. Christ was the only one that kept it. I think it was R.C. Sproul. He said, everybody's going to be judged by works. It's either going to be our works that we're judged by or Christ's work. Right. Christ kept the law completely, 
and my salvation is not dependent on me keeping the law or my fervor to follow Christ or the Spirit moving and me walking an aisle and pouring my heart out before the Lord at an altar. My salvation is solely dependent on my faith in Christ to save me and me being covered by the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And when you read scripture, there's a lot of resting in Christ and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, abide in me for apart from me, you can do nothing. There's so many scriptures that talk about that, but a lot of the Southern churches that have been affected by revivalism, that's not the gospel that's preached. What's preached is, I know that you're doing this, 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 and this. And so you really need to just turn your life back over to Christ and Mm -hmm. commit yourself to Christ and just pour into this relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. But it's it's just as equally a works-based salvation as Catholicism at that point. Because you're saying your salvation and your assurance depends on you and what you can do Mm -hmm. and not what Christ has already done. We're either in him or we're not in him. He's either put the armor of God on us or he hasn't. Right. You know, it's not dependent on us. Yeah, it's been interesting just to kind of dig into that and see what I can pull out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So maybe we'll do a future episode on that. Yeah, that'd be cool. But speaking of the law. Speaking of the law. Let's uh, delve into the second table of the law. So if this is your first episode, I encourage you to listen to the last two where we looked at the preeminence of the first table of the law. And then last week, we looked at the first table and the different commandments that are found there and kind of looked at what they are. And then we looked at how they apply to us today. Right. What's applicable wasn't exhaustive, but just some things that stick out with how we might read it and think, oh, yeah, okay, I'm doing that. But we were looking at some specific areas that they do apply to us today. So let's do that with the second table. Yeah, let's do it. Now, we are going to follow kind of a similar template that we did before where I'm coming out of Exodus 20. You're coming out of Deuteronomy. Yeah, I'm in Deuteronomy 5. Okay, I'll go ahead and just read it. Sounds good. All right. Exodus 20, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. So honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Yep. Why is that one of the Ten Commandments? Well, because ultimately, I mean, one of the reasons I think is because it's calling for a submission to an authority that the Lord has put in place. So, you know, this also goes into what we see later on in Scripture in the New Testament with regards to things like the church, Ephesians, I I think Ephesians uh, 5, you've you've got the husband and the wife. You've also got, it mentions the slave and the master, and then it talks about children as well. Um, Paul does, where he's giving the different authorities that the Lord has put into place and calling us to submission in those Mm -hmm. and kind of letting us see how those work. But I think that that comes from this commandment where the Lord says, honor your father and your mother that uh, the days may be long in the land that your God is giving you. Well, the Lord has set the father and the mother in place and we are to submit to that authority that the Lord has established. And it promises that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. And then mine adds, and that it may go well with you in the land. Right. The Lord's saying, this is for your own good, you know? Right. Um, There's the commandment with a blessing. Right. Yeah, and I think kind of what you said, it's establishing authority. Mm-hmm. We were created to be under authority. We weren't created to be autonomous. So if you look at the culture today, there's a push for autonomy, which means self-sufficient, self-reliant, yeah. self-governed, all that stuff. But that's not how God created us. He created us to be dependent beings. Ultimately, we're dependent on him, 
so we're under his authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so we are under the authority and lordship of Christ, Mm -hmm. ultimately. But then he's also given us government as an authority over us, and government is there to protect us. And then he's also given us the authority of a parent. He's given us a father who is the pastor of the home, a mother who is raising and nurturing and knitting together these eternal beings that are going to be hopefully glorifying the Lord for Mm -hmm. all of eternity. And the call to them is to submit to and honor their mother and father. And then the, the last one is he's given us pastors as authority over us. But when we look at this, we're seeing that the child is submitting to the authority of the parent in the same way that a church submits to the authority of a pastor. Mm-hmm. The, the pastor is the shepherd, but he's not the, the head shepherd. Right. Christ is the shepherd of the flock. And then Christ has set up pastors to shepherd each individual flock. But a pastor is only speaking in authority on behalf of Christ. If right. a pastor steps outside of that, then they've forsaken their role and, and they're doing something that they're not called to do by the Lord. Likewise, a, a parent is a parent in as much as God is the one that has given us the child. It's not our child, it's his child, and he's using us to parent and raise that child. When the child is submitting to the parent, they're ultimately submitting to the father. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And so, but if we disobey our parents or if we disrespect our parents, ultimately we're disrespecting God who's given us that authority. Mm-hmm. You, you see this because this is uh, pretty common that you'll see kids that are disrespectful to parents. Or if you look at any television show or sitcom, it's pretty popular for the, the kids to be disrespectant of the parent. I was watching, our kids have watched all kinds of movies, but we were watching Moana the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about the the whole premise of the movie is you've got this daughter who is going to do the opposite of what her parents say because of this longing inside of her to be great. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But that's the opposite of how we were created. We were created to be submissive and honor our parents. I I think this also goes into looking at, as our parents get older, honoring them there as well, and not just casting them aside because they're an inconvenience, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but honoring them in their old age and looking after and taking care of them. Yeah. Uh, There's a passage, I don't know where it's at right now, I read it at my grandmother's funeral, but it talks about one of the marks of, I'm going to completely butcher this passage, but basically it's saying, if we follow Christ, then one of the marks of us raising our kids right is that they're going to look after us in our older age. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of honoring as well, that we're, we're giving honor and respect to our parents, even though the outward man is perishing. That would be another Another thing. So I, I would say violating this would go for children who disobey their parents or who disrespect their parents. And then also older children who don't want to be inconvenienced with mm-hmm. having to take care of their parents later in life. Yeah. Now they've got their own kids. Now they got their own jobs. Now they got all this stuff and they don't want to take the time to love and honor their parents later in life. Right. I think that would also be a, a violation of that. Yeah, that's good. Um, definitely. Yeah, you uh, are a parent. I'm not. This um, is true. So there's a lot of insight that I hadn't quite thought about. Yeah. I'll take the next one. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Verse 17. You shall not moita. <laughs> you just wanted to say it that way. That's why you took it. I did. <laughs> it has been a murder. <laughs> In Savannah, I do declare. Any Office fans are going to love like that. It. Any non-Office fans are going to be like, 
I, you shall not murder. What do we got here? I was actually thinking about this and some of the other ones that we're going to talk about uh, today last night. And so you've got the law here, and then Jesus comes along in the New Testament, and he says, well, you've heard you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say if you even look at a man with contempt, you've murdered him in your heart. So I was thinking about it last night. I don't know. I was going through kind of the Ten Commandments. I was remembering moments in my life where I have just completely <laughs> outright broken them. And then, you know, you get to you shout out murder. Like, and it's yeah, like, well, I haven't actually like yeah. killed somebody. Right. But I have looked at some people with contempt. And so therefore, I, yeah, I would say I've probably broken that too. Yeah. I think this is one that is so overlooked because it's it was one of the, the first commandments that I learned about as a kid, you know, right. <laughs> like yeah. your mom or your Sunday school teacher, they tell you, you know, the Bible says you can't kill anybody. So that's true. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> well, or does it like, say you can't kill anybody? No, it says you can't murder. Um, not murder. <laughs> and there is a difference there. I guess we should probably talk about that too. We can, uh, um, but let's. But I'm. Those are my first initial thoughts. You, you can. Yeah. Well, and I would even say though that we, especially as an American culture right now, murder is probably one of the bigger areas that we have violated. Mm -hmm. And so I would tie an abortion to this. Oh yeah, for sure. What I would say with murder, you've got two things here. First, it covers the unlawful or immoral killing of another human being, but then you can also tie into that causing the death of another human through careless or negligent behavior. Like we talked about in the two episodes back with God's law, they had to have a fence on their roof. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have a fence, you weren't in trouble. But if you didn't have a fence and somebody fell off of your roof, then you were in trouble under this because you were careless or negligent. You knew that somebody could have fallen off and you didn't prevent right. that. There are things that we can be doing. So like drunk driving, you might not be looking to kill somebody, but you're being careless and negligent. So kind of like uh, manslaughter. Right. Yeah. yeah. So our courts have kind of been, they've used God's law as a, a fabric for our justice system. You've got murder, but then you've got manslaughter and you've got different degrees of murder. It's, it, it's encompassing all of that. Some Somebody that I, I want to end their life or then also somebody that I wasn't seeking to kill them. It's like, I know that my axe head is loose, but I'm still going to go chop wood anyway. And my axe head flies off and hits a guy in the head and kills him. You, you can't do right. that either. Yeah. You got to be responsible with mm -hmm. people's life. And ultimately, though, the reason that this is a commandment is because going back to we were all created by God and in his image. And so because of that, we all have dignity and worth and value as people created in the image of God. Because we are keeping the first table and we have this high view of God, we also have a high view of people that he's created in his image, mm -hmm. which is why Jesus said the second, which is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Actually, the opposite of that. So if you're going to take what Jesus says there, love your neighbor as yourself, the opposite of that would be to hate your neighbor or right. to murder your neighbor, mm -hmm. you know? So when we see thou shalt not murder, it's because we have respect for life, because we have respect, not just for life, but for human life created in the image of a God where we don't have the right or the privilege to just end that life arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different than yeah, war. Was, yeah, I was about to say, what? so why does it not say, thou shalt not kill, yeah. as opposed to thou shalt not murder? So going back to authority, so we were looking at, with children, honor your mother and father. Mm -hmm. We were looking at different authority. The best way I like to explain it is we have different umbrellas of authority that are over us. As a husband, you're a husband. Yep. Your wife is under 
your umbrella of authority. So there's some things that she could do submitting to you that she's not going to be responsible for, but you will because you are that head of authority. Mm -hmm. So if you say, hey, we're going to do this as a family and you shouldn't be doing that, her submission to you, and as much as it's not causing her to sin, she's under your umbrella of authority. Then likewise, governments have an umbrella of authority as well. And so one of the things that the government is there to do is to protect the people. That could include going to war with another nation that is an unjust or unbiblical sovereignty, mm -hmm. you know? And so in that, you're going under the authority of the the country that you're a member of, the, the military that you're a member of. You're fighting as a member of that. And there's interesting things in Scripture. Like, you can really dig into that, but one of the first people saved in the New Testament is a centurion. Right. And to think about what that must have looked like for him, mm -hmm. he's a centurion in the Roman army in the height of the Roman army. And, you know, we don't see what his life looked like after that, but I'm sure it wasn't just rainbows and flowers the rest oh, of his yeah. life. You know? Yeah, they were doing a lot of conquering. Right. Yeah. You know, he could have went to Germany next and, mm -hmm. you know, conquered. But so killing in and of itself, it's not a sin. Uh, it could be. And, and you can still be sinning. You can be in war and commit murder. Right. You know, I'm not just saying because you're under the sovereignty of a nation that you you have a pass to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I was in the military. I, I, I fought in a couple different wars. But you can be there and, and kill somebody without committing murder. But you could be there and kill somebody with committing murder. Right. Uh, if I hate that person and I just want to end their life, uh, I've, I've committed murder. Mm -hmm. But if I'm there protecting and fighting for something else, uh, I'm not killing them because I just hate them and want to end their life. But me killing them is saving my buddy or saving the freedoms of that, that my children have. Or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm under that, that sovereignty of the government at right. that point. And that goes for police officers. And I'm sure there's other examples that I can't think of right now. Yeah. But part of government is protecting and part of protecting is fighting, you know? Yeah. So uh, you look at David killing Goliath. He was protecting God's people, but he was also standing up for, for God. But murder, you've got the individual that's saying, I have decided that I don't like this person or I want what this person has. And so I'm going to end their life for a selfish purpose. Right. So I've now committed murder. Whereas if, if somebody breaks into my house and they're armed and they're trying to kill my children or rape my wife or something like that, mm -hmm. me ending their life to protect my family is not the same as me just seeing that person and then saying, I want to kill them. Or if that did happen and then I go after that person and say, now I'm going to kill you because of what you've done to me, mm -hmm. I've committed murder as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another reason why I like military history because, right. because that is something that I look at mm -hmm. and kind of study. It's like, okay, well, was this country justified in bombing that town? Right. You know what I mean? Well, um, so, and yeah. And I would say like looking at us as Americans, so yeah. we have blood on our hands. I'm not saying, oh yeah, you know, like I was in the military. I'm not saying everything that has ever happened has been justified. Mm -hmm. You know, there is blood on our hands as a nation in wars that we've been in or or wars we've continued to fight, even though we might not should have been there as long. Um, mm -hmm. You could have a justified war, and then the length of time you stay, it starts to become unjustified. 
Mm-hmm. I would say Afghanistan is a good example of that. Yeah. Uh, I think we stayed there too long and, and probably shouldn't have been there as long as we were. Mm-hmm. But then also we've got murder on our hands from that aspect. But then the other one that I want to kind of talk about with this is abortion. Yeah. And there's murder on our hands in that aspect as well, because there's been millions of babies over the last 50 years that have been murdered. And that's we're just as guilty for that. Right. As we are unjust murder in the military. Yeah. And it really government. Well, it starts to really humble a person or kind of look. I don't know. Like it starts to really just burden me. You know, Mm -hmm. when you start to think about the amount of babies who have been murdered. Right. You know, and you think about, okay, so the Holocaust, the horrible atrocity that that was. I would venture to say we've probably surpassed that. Oh, we have. I mean, well over. How many were killed in the Holocaust? Six million. Yeah, we're looking at right now, since Roe v. Wade, uh, right at 50 years ago, we're at 62 million aborted. So that's 10 times more yeah. than and, were killed in the Holocaust. And it's like, you know, we look at that, at the Holocaust, rightly so, in, in with such sadness, such burdensome right. guilt and shame of the fact that this event took place and then we look at ourselves it's just it's almost like just a somber realization of my goodness well and i Um, think too that the reason that we spent so much time talking about the preeminence of the first table and then going through the first table is you have to have a good grasp on that for the second table to make sense so if you're talking to the average american Or I would even venture to say, if you're talking to probably the majority of American Christians Mm. and you're talking about abortion, we tend to look at things from a second table first perspective. Mm -hmm. So the, the primary argument for abortion is it's a mother's right to choose and our attachments go with the mother. But if you're looking at things from a first table perspective where we want to be worshiping God as he desires to be worshiped and we're also because of our love for God flows our love for others, we see that the the child is also an individual created by God, designed in his image, and has those same inalienable rights as right. the mother. So I can't say that if it's going to be an inconvenience to the mother, she can decide to kill her child because the child is just as worthy and just mm-hmm. as created in God's image as the mother is. So at that point, I have to say, okay, the child's innocent in this, so what do we do with that situation? Right. You know? So most people, though, they, they would say, well, it's, it's unfair for someone who was raped to have to carry a child and be reminded of what they faced. But then I would also say the most innocent person in that situation is the child that was, that's in the mother's womb. That child did nothing wrong as well. But to fix it, killing that child is not the answer. So that's why God's justice has to be the one that's driving us. If we're going to understand the second table and we're going to uphold the second table, we have to first be understanding and upholding the first table. Yeah. Otherwise we get it backwards. Right. And we're looking at the mother's rights and that's all that matters to us Mm -hmm. because that's what we can see or that's what we can best side with. Yeah. The other argument, not to, not to, because we, we have a good chunk still to get to the other argument that you hear is now what if the mother is in danger of perishing right so what do you do at that point where you've got two lives that are at stake Mm -hmm. how would you go about working through that type of situation the same way that i would if the child was outside of the womb Mm. so in in a situation where you say 
okay, mom, if you don't kill your child, you're going to die. It would be the same as if a gunman was holding a gun to a lady's head and said, if you let me shoot your child in the head, I won't shoot you in the head. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we're understanding that in that situation, the child has just as much worth and value and dignity as the mother has, Mm -hmm. I think it would change the way that we make decisions. But I will also say that God has blessed us with scientific technology today. And a lot of people that use that, they're using that as a straw man argument because nowadays there's not very many pregnancies where that's the case. Yeah, It used to be. But now we can do a lot more medically than we could do before. And that's predominantly, if we look at these 62 million abortions, the predominant reason for those abortions is going to be because the child would be an inconvenience. In that situation, then this doesn't even matter. But if that were the case and the doctor says, there's nothing we can do, either you're going to die or the baby's going to die, it would be the same as if a burglar or a robber walks up to a mother with her child in an alley and says, I'm either going to shoot you in the head or I'm going to shoot your child. If we're looking at it from that perspective, it helps us make better decisions than to just say, well, obviously I'm going to abort the baby. Right. And and I understand that like these are hard. That's a hard question. Yeah. No. And, and that's. But if we put it in perspective right. of God's word and understand it's just the same as if it's your five-year-old, mm-hmm. at least gives us some structure for making a better decision. Yeah. A little bit more clarity. Yeah. And, and again, you know, before we move on real quick, I just I mentioned it last episode, but what we're saying and what we always want to say, we want to say out of love, we We are not here to make points simply for the sake of being right or trying to prove a point or a point of view. With abortions, I would encourage those listening to dive into maybe some stuff that has been put out over at um, End Abortion Now, because what they do is they'll actually go and they'll talk about why it's wrong, but then they'll also say, now we're here to serve you. We're here to, we will adopt your child. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, Well, and I think with abortion, it's a deeper conversation. So we're not just saying what we're talking about is do not murder. Right. Right. So with that, abortion falls under that. Right. Um, Now, as a church, if you're trying to end abortion, it's deeper than speaking against abortion. Right. If I'm trying to end abortion, I need to love pregnant women who are considering seeking an abortion. Right. And I need to love them in a way that they know that I love them and they know that I'm there to support them as a church body. So whether that is we have people that are willing to adopt your child, we have people that are willing to pay for medical expenses, mm-hmm. we have people that are willing to come alongside of you and do whatever it is that that person needs. Yeah, that's that's a part of helping the the whole abortion issue in our country. Mm-hmm. But as far as speaking the truth in love, part of speaking in love is being able to speak the whole truth. Right. So if I know that my friend has cancer on their face and I don't tell them and they can't get it treated, mm-hmm. that's not loving. Just right. avoiding an awkward conversation or a painful conversation isn't loving. What's loving is because I. I love you. I want to speak the truth to you mm-hmm. and also help figure out a solution. Yeah, yeah. So when we're saying this, we're not saying if you're on the side that would support abortion or if you have had an abortion or have considered an abortion that we're just coming down on you. What we're saying is this is the truth of God's word. Mm-hmm. And with that, the answer is found in Christ, in right. Christ alone. The verse that I read at the beginning 
God's law shows us our sinfulness. Mm-hmm. It shows us where we fail. It shows us where we get confused. And God's law is that master to us. It's a schoolmaster, and it's helping us to see how perverted our nation has gotten from the truth. Yeah, We've taken God's truth, and we've substituted it with a lie. And in this case, with murder, we can look at like what you said, we can look at the Ten Commandments and be like, well, the one I know I haven't committed is murder, mm-hmm. but then I'm supporting a woman's right to choose right. and things like that. Right. You know, So that is an area that's a blind spot in our country, mm-hmm. and the best way to love those people first and foremost is to bring the, the light of the truth of God's Word, to speak against it, but then say that as we're speaking against abortion as murder, we also want to come alongside and love those people that are wrestling and struggling with that. Right. You know? Yeah, definitely. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. And you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. That's what it says in Exodus as well. What do we got here? I would say that this one is mentioned... You've got several kind of angles to look at it under the one, like you say, umbrella that uh, is... The commandment of do not commit adultery. So one is you got the surface level, the base level of it, committing adultery. Well, that would be cheating on your spouse. Or somebody else's. Or someone else's. If you're like not fornication married. type two. Well, no. Yeah. If, if I'm not married and I have sex with a married woman, I've committed oh, yeah. adultery right. as well. Yes. So you've got that. Of yep. just the action of knowing what that is. Then Jesus says in uh Matthew, yep. you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say that even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. So for a lot of guys, that uh, indicts us. Then you've got the question of, all right, well, why is adultery important? And that's where you've got a lot of different angles to look at it. There are lots of reasons why it's important. Okay. So number one, marriage is ordained by God. It is a representation of the gospel. And so we are committed to our spouse and we're in covenant with them. Right. And when we consummate our marriage, it brings us together as one flesh. We leave our mother and our father and we unite with our spouse, becoming one flesh with them. Yeah. That is what ultimately sex does and if it's done outside of that it's i've heard it put like a house fire Mm -hmm. sex being a fire if it's in the fireplace keeps the whole house warm it's in its context Mm -hmm. it's but if it's not then it can burn the whole house down Right. right so you've got a danger there because sex is such a powerful thing also the other angle that i've just kind of started to think through is found in ephesians i believe ephesians 4 paul is talking about adultery and covetousness shall not even be named among the saints right because ultimately and this is what i kind of rest working through why does paul mention those two specifically yeah marriage is supposed to reflect the gospel and so therefore if we are committing adultery then we have a low view of the gospel itself and we're rubbishing that we're kind of tossing it in the garbage and not really taking into consideration what it is and so therefore you've got that reason but also you've got the reason of we are in doing that so rebelling against god in a very fundamental based way and almost committing adultery on god i think that is is kind of what I'm working through right now. I've kind of landed right there as far as why Paul really specifically highlights those things of covetousness and adultery. Now, there's a ton more to it than that, but that's right. that's kind of what I've worked through so far. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah. Well, and I would affirm everything that you say and then just add to the same that we're talking about with honoring mother and father and don't murder is God has created us, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't murder somebody because they have inherent dignity 
and value because they're created in the image of God. I honor my mother and father because God has instituted the family and he's set the father and the mother in authority over the children. God has also established the family and put the husband in authority over the wife, and they're in that covenant together Mm -hmm. of marriage. The two become one flesh. And when I am looking at another woman with lust, or if I am committing adultery with somebody else's spouse, then I'm also, like you said, I've, I've turned my back on the gospel, but I'm disrespecting God first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's when when we see this, like you said, it's not just the act of committing adultery, but it's also committing adultery in the heart. So this could be one of those, just like murder, where we look at it and we say, well, you know, I'm a 16-year-old kid. I've not committed adultery, but if I've got a pornography addiction, then I have committed adultery mm-hmm. because I've looked at a woman with lust and continue to do that. So this is another widespread one for the American culture today, Right. where in the New Testament, in these Greek cities, or in these Gentile cities, you had all kinds of sexual things that were going on in these cities, the way that they're worshiping their gods and things like that. But today, most teenage boys have a cell phone, and they know how to get on a pornographic website from that phone. And so there's a lot of this commandment being violated with teenage boys and their cell phone yeah and and so yeah so that would be another way that we're breaking that commandment and the answer to this is the same as the answer to women considering abortion or who have had an abortion is the the way that i find freedom in that is by resting in christ and allowing his word to transform my desires and my thoughts and my mind yeah the way that i see a woman the way Christ sees her is by allowing the word to to transform my mind. So when when Paul says, going back to yours in Ephesians, don't commit adultery and don't covet, that's both dealing with the same issue. Yeah. Because when we get to the 10th commandment, there's don't covet after your neighbor's wife and don't desire his things. Mm-hmm. So the wife is separate from the things. She's not property. Right. So covetousness is for the person's spouse. And then desire is for the person's things. Right. So us as believers, us as followers of Christ, we're not to be desiring women that aren't our spouse mm-hmm. or men that aren't our spouse. And, and we're not to be acting on that desire in adultery as well because we have that high view of God. We have that high view of the gospel. We have that high view of Christ, and we're submitting to his lordship because within the church, we're all the bride of Christ. Right. And if if we're committing adultery within the church, we're cheating on Christ, mm-hmm. you know, because we are his bride. Yeah. Um, so it should not even be named among us because we're not our own. We've been bought mm-hmm. with a price. Yeah. And there's there's a different there's also the side of it that and this is kind of what I'm working through as well. Speaking of what Paul writes in Ephesians, but you also have the Lord judging Israel, Old Covenant Israelites, calling them a harlot because they hoard after other gods. Mm-hmm. And he says, "You did it for fun. <laughs> you didn't even get paid. You know, well, you're worse than others because right. you just did it because you liked it, right?" So it seems like there's a macro aspect to that as well of like the church being the bride of Christ. So you've got this marriage established, which I think in my mind puts an even heavier weight on the 
the problem of adultery. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. No, I think you're on the right track. And it, again, that's pretty likewise, raw. I'm still. I'm still well, really kind of. Likewise, kinda, if yeah. you're finding contentment in your marriage, you're not going to see. So if a husband is properly loving his wife mm-hmm. as he's called to, and the wife is respecting and revering and and loving the husband, and you see that healthy relationship, those aren't the marriages that you typically see adultery in. Right. You know. It's marriages where there's not a healthy relationship in the first place. So then now I'm looking outside of what God's given me to find fulfillment and gratification and satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same thing within the church. If I have a healthy relationship with the Lord, I'm I'm reading his word. I'm communicating with him through prayer. I'm seeking after him. I desire to study the word and be around like-minded believers and worship him on the Lord's day in these corporate gatherings of the saints. And I'm abiding in Christ and the word is flowing through me. There's not this desire to seek after other little G gods, mm-hmm. you know, ties into um, the first table. It does. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, next. Okay. Number eight, number eight, you shall not steal. You shall not. What you got on stealing? Well, again, you know, all of these have a lot wider implications than I think that a lot of people realize. Stealing, obviously, taking someone's property that's not yours. But you then have to ask the question, okay, what am I taking from God that's not mine? So you've got tithing comes into play here. You've got not necessarily with stealing from God, but you've got um, taxation that comes into play here. It's like property taxes theft. Perhaps. I would. I I mean, I would say yes, yeah, but I just, I haven't really studied up on that too much, so. I would say yes. Okay. Because if you paid off your property, you own that property. Well, if I'm paying a tax for a property that I own. Right. Then I'm being stolen from. Yeah. Well, and I think just as you're, as you're continuing with this, though, the one thing that I want to say is with the commandment, thou shalt not steal, it implies that ownership of property is a, a, a personal right. Right. So God has given us the right to ownership of things. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I can't take from somebody what's already theirs. Right. So this is one that I've got. My two oldest boys are seven and five. And I get a lot of, this is mine, that's mine. You know, he yeah. stole this, he stole that. And so there's two things that I try to teach him in that. One is that this is yours. It's your property. You have a right to it. And telling the brother in whichever situation it ends up being, listen, that is his stuffed animal, which Mm -hmm. Ezra calls a stuffy. (laughs) That's Ezra's stuffy. You can't take that from him because it's his property. If you take it without his permission, you've stolen from him. Yeah. But then also in that teaching grace to, to share what is ours, but still because of our love for neighbor, we want to allow them to play with that as well. You know, but Ultimately, it's his. He has a right to that property. Mm-hmm. We have a right to that property because God has given it to us. Yeah. And so God has blessed us with the things that we have because God's blessed us with it. We have a right to it. And if we have a right to it, then everybody else can't just take that from us. Otherwise, it's stealing. Mm-hmm. But again, this flows from the first table. You know, we have a, a proper understanding of who God is and what he's given us. You know, the the call to honor mother and father comes with a blessing, and that blessing is that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land. You can see in the Old Testament, there is physical blessing for people that are following God. 
Right. And so I'm not preaching like a health and wealth gospel here, you know, (laughs) but part of following God is there could be some monetary blessing from that Mm -hmm. or physical blessing from that. Yeah. Look at Abraham. Right. You know, look at Joseph. Job. Look at Job. Yeah. Yeah. You see blessings with that. And because God's blessed us with things that he's given us, it's not ultimately ours either. It's his, mm-hmm. you know? So you think of like churches, 501c3 churches, where they don't have to pay taxes. I would say that is not a governmental right. That's a, a biblical right. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this money's already been taxed. People are giving that to the Lord through the church. And then if the government were to tax the church again, they're stealing from God. What's right. his? So yeah, so you shall not steal. We don't take something that's not ours because that person has a right to property because God's given it to them. Yeah. And then what we have, likewise, God has given to us mm-hmm. to, to use for his glory. No matter if we have a lot or if we have a little bit, God's given us what we need to glorify him. Mm-hmm. And so we should be content with what he's given us and look to him as the provider, not look to our neighbor as what we can take from them to make ourselves right more wealthy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, having that upward focus helps us not to have that outward desire to take right. what's not ours. All right, number nine, what number you got? Nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right, what does that mean? It means you shall not lie. But it also means a lot of other stuff. Um, <laughs> so this was something that also in the past year or so I've started to kind of learn more about where a lot of people, and, and, and there are some translations um, that don't actually... Uh, say you shall not bear false witness. It just says you shall not lie. We all, I'm sure, understand why lying is a problem. I think that bearing false witness you, it kind of gives a little bit more of a of a picture as to what, um, kind of what what I think this is talking about. So bearing false witness, saying something happened, and I'm either claiming to see it or and have not seen it actually. Or I have seen it and I'm just, you know, not telling exactly what I've seen. Um, And I think that that obviously plays out in the courts, right? So you've got uh, justice issues here um, where obviously if someone goes to court and someone takes a stand and they're a witness and they bear false witness, then... um, you know, the court could believe that person and then make an unjust ruling based off of that person's false witness. Um, also, though, I think it it extends out to pastors. It extends out to those of us who um, we stand on the authority of the Word of God. And I, I would venture to say that once we step out of the Word of God, we no longer stand on that authority, and we are bearing false witness to the Word of God. Okay. Um, and so that's a heavy thing for me because it's like, okay, if I'm over here teaching even a Sunday school class or I'm teaching you know, the college on Wednesday nights, I need to know and I need to make sure that what I'm saying and what I'm telling them, I don't come out of the bounds of Scripture that I, have, that I know. You know, right. um, I don't go and I don't go and, and, and just teach them something that I've heard from somewhere um, as if it's scripture. I stick with I stick within the bounds of scripture that I've that I know and that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me 
through reading scripture. And so that's kind of been something that's been heavy on my heart too in the past year or so as I've come into the ministry and started taking more roles like that. That's my that's my two cents. Yeah, no, I think that is a, a good summary of lying. Why would you say, though, that why do you think God put do not bear false witness as one of the ten? Um, well, because I think that it has to do with justice. Um, so it's revealing God's character about justice. He's very um, just, and he feels very strongly about justice. Say justice again. Justice. Yeah. And I think what I would add to this one would be bearing false witness. Kind of think about like a, a courtroom, and I'm making a a hateful life for the purpose of seeing my neighbor punished. Mm-hmm. And so if they're being punished unjustly, then that would fall on me. And if I'm properly worshiping God, I love my neighbor because he's first loved me. And I'm not trying to see something bad or punishment fall on my neighbor if they're innocent. Mm-hmm. And I know that to be true. Because a lot of times, again, this goes back to the heart of sin as self. And I'm hoping to gain something from their unjust punishment. Right. Why is lying bad, Nana? Oh, why lying is bad because it turns out we need to tell another lie. <laughs> that lie. Cover that lie. That's right. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, number 10. Last but certainly not least. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servants, or his female servants, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Why shan't we do that? We mentioned it a second ago that what has been given to us has been given to us by the Lord, and so we are to be content in that. And number one, I mean, if we go and we want our neighbor's things— ultimately, well, that is the root of theft, you know? People steal stuff because they want something that they don't have. Right. Also, it's the root of adultery, right? We want to to go and and lust after this other woman because we think that she's got something that either my wife or husband or whatever doesn't have. Yeah, and I would say, too, that if we are coveting or desiring something that's not ours, we're not finding contentment in Christ and what we have. Mm-hmm. So in a, a marital relationship with adultery, um, or if I'm coveting after my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's car or my neighbor's clothing or my neighbor's whatever it is, mm-hmm. I'm not content with where the Lord has me. I'm not content with what the Lord's given me. Right. And so to kind of skip ahead with practical application for us today, this is very predominant when you're on Instagram or YouTube or things like that, Facebook. But I can scroll through social media and I can see all these different things that people have. And I think that that possession is going to bring joy to my life. So I'm not content with the things that Christ has given me because my joy is not found in him. My joy is found in stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's... a uh, one of the primary ways that this is applicable to us today is you see that happening. I heard one time, I don't remember who said it, but they said when we're going through, when we're going through social media like that, we're comparing people's highlight reel to our behind the scenes footage. Yeah. You know, because we know the ins and outs of our life. We know the behind the scenes things. 
And then what people put out on social media is the highlights. Right. They don't put the the dirty stuff and they don't put the secrets and they don't put the struggles. They just put the happiness. When we're looking at other people's things and, and we're coveting it or desiring it, we're desiring two things that aren't comparable mm-hmm. are behind the scenes footage to their highlight reels. Right. You know? So uh, I, I think the answer to this stems with our joy being found in Christ, our contentment being in God and what he's given us. And if we don't have contentment in that, then that will produce covetousness and desire for someone else's things. Right. So I think as we look at all of these, a good way to end this is to wrap it up with the understanding that if we have a right understanding of who God is and we have a right understanding of who we are in relation to him, then that preeminence of the first table, that preeminence of properly worshiping God, that preeminence of having a a right understanding of how our relationship is with him, it helps us to be able to do the second table. Mm -hmm. I would say that the second table is not even something that we focus on. It's a byproduct of a right understanding of the first table. Right. Which goes back to the beginning of episode five, where we said the first table is preeminent. And Mm -hmm. and I said that probably the, the biggest fight that we will have in our generation in the American church is reestablishing the preeminence of the first table. We are culturally in a moment where all of our focus is on the second table, but focusing on the second table, one, we can't fulfill the second table and it doesn't help the first table. Right. You know? So what we've got to do is we've got to call people back to reformation of worship to where we are focusing on the first table and getting those four right so that the second table can happen. But again, I would say all of this, the answer is found in Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ needs to change the desires of our heart. Yeah. You know, so when we look at what Moses did when he came down from the mountain and the people were worshiping these false idols, but when Moses comes down from the mountain, he sees the people worshiping this golden calf and he sees Aaron trying to redeem worship in front of this gold calf. What he did was he completely destroyed the calf. He broke it into pieces, demolished it, and then took the ash of it and threw it in the river. He completely destroyed the idol. And that's what we've got to do as well is mm-hmm. we've got to completely destroy the idol so that we can go back to a, a right and proper worship of God, worshiping him as he desires to be worshiped. Right. So that's how I would leave it today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, it was good. I think as we work through these last six commandments, you can start to really see how all of it hinges upon us having a right view and a right understanding of God and his character and how we are to worship him. Even the stuff that you wouldn't think about, like thou shalt not murder. You think, well, of course, secularists will take that and they'll say, well, because of survival of the fittest, right? Well, no, actually, they'll... That means murder. Yeah, they'll say, yeah. Or they'll say, well, if we, the reason why we want to not kill each other is because if everyone went and killed each other, then the human race would inevitably end at some point. Mm -hmm. But really, even that, you can plainly see that, no, we don't kill each other because everyone is made in the image of God, and God is holy, God is set apart, and he is the one who commands us to not do that because he's made us all in his image. So I think a good um, question to ask in general with things is, 
on what basis? Right. Or what is the foundation for that? You mm-hmm. know? And the basis of the second table is the first table. Right. So we don't murder. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal. We don't bear false witness. We don't covet. We honor our mother and father because of who God is and what he's done. Mm-hmm. He's established us. He's created us. He's made us. He's done all these things. The The basis as a Christian for these things is who God is mm-hmm. and what he's done. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. So, so, Well, I think that's a good spot to leave it today. Join us next week. I hope that you're having a good Lord's Day, and we'll see you next Sunday. We will. Bye.